0: Welcome to Unexpected Points. We have a Monday digesting a couple of huge trades episode of the pod. I'm going to give you all the practical information for the Watson and Devontae Adams moves, what it means for them in terms of their chances to win, what may have gone on behind the scenes, and how we came out with the trade compensation, and all the other analytical details you expect from this show. This is Unexpected Points. Unexpected <music> Points. All righty, all righty, all righty. Um, Another another week, another Friday night news drop, whether it was purposefully timed to be so because of the, I don't know what euphemism I want to use here, because the sensitivity of the situation around Deshaun Watson, I'm not sure, but uh, it was definitely... Well-timed if you wanted to lower some of the attention level on it. Not that anyone's forgotten about it come Monday, but uh, maybe a little bit less chatter that you would have had to deal with as opposed to dropping this during the middle of the week and having to sustain through that. You also got the Devontae Adams trade out there. Again, I will talk about that. And that can deflect some of the attention around what's happening in the league. And we're already right into the fallout talk from what happened with the Deshaun Watson trade being what's going to happen with Matt Ryan, what's going to happen with Baker Mayfield, all of that stuff I will address here. But before I do, again, letting everyone know promo code unexpected, 25% off any PFF subscription, all of my locked article content. If you're into that stuff, I have another quarterback prospect article coming out this week, which I think is gonna be pretty interesting. If we have all of our draft content, And free agency content, my improvement index, which goes over the wins added for all the different teams. I talked about that last week a bit and how to think about wins being added. So all that stuff at PFF, please go and check it out. Okay, right up top, I want to – this would be the format. So we're going to talk Watson trade, uh, fallout from Watson trade for different teams – Specifically, Falcons with Matt Ryan and Browns with Baker Mayfield, what what the fallout's going to be there. Then I'm going to go Devontae Adams trade. And there'll be some fallout stuff there, too, when it comes to what the the Packers should be doing. But within each one of those, right up at the top, I'm going to try to hit you with maybe actionable numbers and ways of digesting the impact of these deals that you're probably not going to get anywhere else. Give you that quote unquote, hit the hashtag unexpected of unexpected points here. Uh, Numbers you're not going to get anywhere else. So there's two different things I want to go over for both of these trades. The first thing is cost. So how do we think about cost in this trade? Uh, I'm going to put the contract stuff aside for a second. Because there's... It's kind of like a leverage play, I think, with the Watson contract and maybe also with the Adams contract a bit that will go into the overall analysis. But, again, I'll discuss that a little bit later when I go into the specifics of each trade. But just right at the top, let's just look at the draft compensation. So um I'm going to mention drop and name-dropping Timo again here, Timo Risquet, a data scientist here at PFF. He developed a method for projecting war by draft pick, and then also having a discounting method for future years. So a future first round pick is not worth as much as a current first round pick. That's obvious. And the degree to which it's discounted is probably a little bit less by how Timo and how we would look at it versus how the NFL discounts them very heavily. At least when you look at your trade chart sort of situation. But we do discount it. It's worth more than a current second round pick, but it's worth somewhere between a current second round pick and a current first round pick. That's where a future first round pick falls. So the deal, just to go over the parameters again for Watson here, so we know what everything is, it's three first round picks. So that is one current first round pick, the 13th pick overall, that is also two. Future first round picks, which I'm just throwing everything in here as the 16th pick for future stuff. I know I could say, well, they're going to get Watson. They have this high uh, projection for how well they're going to do this season. So let's say it's 22 instead of 16. I'm not going to get into the details because it's really just marginal differences in, in, in the in the trade calculation. So it may give Houston a little bit extra credit here. But then again, if you know, if the shots, Sean Watson, you know, tears his ACL like he did. Uh, a few years ago, as a rookie, then you can get a great pick out of it potentially if they don't have, uh, if you have Jacoby Brissett coming in now as the backup. So, anyway, so we, three first round picks. So, one current at 13, two future first round picks, a future third round pick, and a future fourth round pick. Not worth a whole lot, those ones. And then the Houston is sending back a future fourth round pick. So, we put all that into our calculation. How much those picks are exactly worth, add it all up, net out everything. For Houston, for the Texans, they gain a little bit over two wins above replacement. So 2.02 more is what they're gaining from this transaction. That's a big number. Don't get me wrong. That is a big number. But in the context of what we've seen just this season for trading, it comes in a little bit less by our numbers, by these war numbers, than what the Seattle Seahawks gained for trading away Russell Wilson. In other words, remember, the Seahawks, they get the number nine overall pick, so a little bit better pick than 13. They get 40, which is a strong second round pick. They get 152. Well, that's a little bit later there in the fourth round this year. And then they get a future first and a future second. So they get more draft capital immediately. A lot more draft capital immediately. They get that second round pick, which is pretty big. Uh, well, actually, Seattle does also give up, I guess, a early fourth round pick here. So they, they do give something up as part of this. But anyway, they get all of that draft capital much earlier and better numbers there on those. So that gives them, in, by our calculation, because of the immediacy of that, because of getting that second round second round picks versus the third and the fourth in the future that the Browns are giving up, which are kind of worthless, we actually have the Seattle's compensation being at 2.1 war. so a little bit more, a little bit more, and that does not include the fact that, as you remember, there were no players in the Browns-Texans deal, which was a little bit surprising. They weren't getting any additional benefit from there. And, you know, you don't have to be high on Drew Locke to say a quarterback on a one-year, $1.3 million contract. Even if it's Drew Locke, there's some value in that. You're getting something. Maybe not a lot, but you're getting something. And then Noah Fant, you don't have to necessarily be that high on Noah Fant either to say that if he plays out, if they sign him to the fifth-year option... His combination of his salary this year and next year is going to come out to some in the neighborhood of $13 million, so $6.5 million per year for two years of Noah Fant, a former first-round draft pick, and a decently productive player. Again, that's a val—that's a contract value, that one right there. Shelby Harris, eh, probably not a value, maybe a little bit of a negative, but he's going to play for Seattle, I think. They haven't, they haven't released him. They're not releasing him. He's going to play. So it's not worthless, I wouldn't say. So if anything, these numbers could be understating the value Seattle got because of a little bit of contract value you're going to get from Locke and a a decent amount of contract value you're going to get from Noah Fant. So think about that. Just right up top, the Browns are getting a 26-year-old quarterback. Yes, there are games that may be missed this year. But looking at it purely from a football standpoint, you're getting a quarterback who's probably viewed as being maybe even a little bit better than Russell Wilson right now, not just what, no, no, not just an extended streak. I agree that he's only had, he hasn't had the as long of a history of high performance when it comes to PFF grades, but he's had a very, very strong Hall of Fame type of trajectory to his career so far for Watson. So you're getting him at 26 versus Wilson at 33. That's seven years of prime quarterback play, the more quarterback play that you're getting there, maybe Wilson even has seven years left to get to 40. So at the, I think at the very least, you could say you're getting double the prime years, if not triple the prime years out of Watson that you'd be getting out of Russell Wilson. Yet the Seahawks got back better compensation than the Texans did. So I'll dig in a little bit more into what happened with that uh including a little mea culpa here about my fact that I did not think this was a distressed kind of sale for for the Texans because they had all these multiple bidders but it seems like that that it may have played out in that capacity. Okay so that that's right up top. We're already saying this is a pretty good deal for the Browns as far as what they're giving up. At least comping versus the Wilson deal and I think just generally the conversation was lighter than I thought it was going to be. I thought there was going to be more like a three ones, three twos type of situation. The fact that there are no twos in this is big. Um, and then let's look at what it means practically. It's tough to get a future window out into what it does for the Browns and they're increasing their Super Bowl chances because this is what you care about if you're making a deal like that. This is all you care about. You don't don't care about some of the ethical issues, clearly, um, as much. But you you care about that Super Bowl chance and getting that top-notch quarterback. So what does it mean for the Browns? I looked up the Super Bowl odds back in February, about a month ago, a little bit more than a month ago. At that point in time, I don't think anyone projected the Browns to be in the Watson business, at least not to land him. There'd be a pretty low amount built into that. So they were plus 3,500 to win the Super Bowl at that point in time. The Browns were before any of this chatter started. So that is a 2.8% implied probability. Now there's some juice built into that. So it's probably more like 2.5 is what you would say is their their real chance of winning the super bowl here you know we can do some uh you know quick math on that one if you want and if you say it's 2.5 well then let's say 2.5 those so that's four gets up to 10 times another 10 40 so that's one out of every 40 years basically is what is what you're thinking is going to be you're going to win the super bowl one out of 40 not so great uh 10th in the AFC at that point, as far as their Super Super Bowl odds are concerned. Let's remember, there's 16 teams in each conference. So below nine other teams, less than halfway there. Now, if you go on to our friends at DraftKings, sponsor of the pod, you go over there, you look up their Super Bowl odds. The Browns are plus 1600 versus plus 3500 which is an implied 5.9%. If again, if you lower that down a bit, let's say it's 5.5%. So you're you're more than doubling your your odds here. You're increasing it by you know 3% where your odds were only 2.5% before this happened. That's a huge move. And not only that, they're fourth in the AFC now at plus 1600. So they're behind only the Bills in Super Bowl chances. In the AFC, they're behind only the Bills, the Chiefs, and they're right behind the Broncos. Maybe they should be above the Broncos, but there is some risk here with what's going to happen with Watson. This And this is with the fact that he is going to probably miss time this season. That's how big of an impact has been built into this. This is a huge impact. They jumped in Super Bowl odds. They jumped the Colts, the Patriots, the Titans, the Ravens the Chargers, and the Bengals. They jumped all those teams with this one transaction to you know, get Watson for three quarters to half of a season here in their Super Bowl odds. Again, fourth overall in the AFC, and a very, very strong AFC. That's where they jumped to. This is a hugely impactful trade. And again, you can see why teams were clamoring over this despite some big ethical issues. Now, again, I wouldn't have been doing this I I don't know. At least I don't think so. But yeah, it, it's a big impact and uh, not too much on the on the trade compensation here. So like, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did the Browns get him for such little money? And my only thing here, and again, this is part of my mea culpa to uh, Josh Hermsmeyer and Chris Towers over at CBS, uh, well, Josh Hermsmeyer at 538, is that I didn't think that this was a, quote unquote, like distressed asset sale for the Texans, which is, it was framed that way because we're having a discussion about whether or not this was kind of an analytics type of move to go after, you know, vulture, like a vulture swoop in there and try to grab something. I didn't think that was the case because I thought you have four different teams who are in competition in here. The Texans are not forced to trade him immediately. They're not forced to trade him to any particular team. Even if Watson says, I want to go to X team, they can play a little bit of hardball here. I think Watson, if you put it to him and say, we're not going to trade you to this team, but we'll trade you to this other team that's second on your list, maybe he capitulates and goes ahead and goes there. You know, they had some leverage here just because they aren't going to keep him. You still have leverage. We see that all the time. The Colts. They, everyone on the planet knew that they were getting rid of Carson Wentz. They still got a decent deal for him because the leverage comes from teams, not just not bidding against you, but bidding against other teams. So I thought they would have more leverage here. But what it appears to have happened is that they, the Texans, this is of course speculation somewhat on my part, but it seems like they were so ready to be done with this situation that as long as three ones were put in the package, they weren't out there trying to extract extra value to get twos and so on. Because you can only tra- you can only trade out three years in the NFL. You can't trade out, you can't trade four ones, you can't trade five ones, you can't trade six ones. There are safeguards put in place so that GMs aren't trading away the entire future of a franchise in order to save themselves in an immediate impact. So you can only trade three ones. So that's when you need to get the three twos that's when you need to maybe get some thirds on top of that third round picks on top of that they didn't get they only got one third multiple years in the future you know no twos at all definitely a light trade compensation package so they seem to have been willing to say teams come in give us the three ones maybe give us a little bit else and that's going to check our box to get rid of Deshaun Watson that is a distress sale i'm sorry if you're only really caring about the three ones, there's no way that that's enough compensation to be given up for, for Watson. And, and then what the Browns did, and again, I I don't like talking about these moves which can be viewed as shrewd in a way in the business sense of increasing your Super Bowl probability, which I just went over which that they check that box. They're successful there. If that's what they're trying to do, and it seems like that's their only concern, they're doing that. Shrewd in a way because they went from out of the running to back in the running. And the only reason I can see that that happened, well, more in the back in the running, out of the running to the quote-unquote winner of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. The only reason I could see that really happen is they opened the pocketbook for Watson. If you look at every all the machinations for this new contract, the fully guaranteed, the amount per year, this is how you need to think about it. The only way you need to think about it is they added one year for 2026 at 94 million fully guaranteed. One year, 94 million. Even at that point in time, the going rate for for that year for cash that you're going to be going getting in the future, let's say is maybe $50 million will be for the top, top quarterbacks, let's say. So they're basically just giving him $45 million. They're just paying him off in a way. $45 million. Here's $45 million. Um, he was going to earn $35 this year. They gave him a $45 million signing bonus. So he even gets 10 more immediate cash than he would have gotten. You know, we, We've seen the outcry about the fact that they're lowering his salary down to $1 million. So if he's suspended this year, he's only going to lose something like 50 something thousand dollars a game that for each for each one you know i'm not going to knock him that hard for that cuz i think anyone would have done that for any player you'd be it's been done before for players who are facing suspension it would be almost malpractice on the part of his agent to not do that his agent's done a lot of other questionable optically things about kind of rubbing it in after the uh after the grand jury declined to indict But this is pretty standard. This, I'm not going to hit the Browns on any sort of ethical issue as far as that's concerned. But they did basically pay him off. And by doing that, I think they may have helped their leverage with the Texans and giving up less in trade compensation. In a way, I think the Browns almost bought not only Deshaun Watson's acquiescence to lifting the no trade clause to go over to them. But I think they also bought back some of the draft capital that they would have had to give up as part of this transaction. Because if you can get Watson dead set on wanting to come to the Cleveland Browns, giving him $94 million extra onto his contract, get him dead set on that, then The Texans were in a position that they weren't going to play hardball. Because again, they don't have to trade him. Uh, Watson doesn't, Watson gets to choose who he lifts his no trade clause for. He doesn't get to choose, I get traded to this team. He could refuse to do the other ones. But then again, the Texans could play hardball. The Texans could say, oh, you want to go to to the Browns? Because they're going to pay you off uh, $94 million for that extra year. Fine. Uh, Get them to throw in three second-round picks, and we'll do it. If they won't, then we're going to take the best offer from some other team. Now, I don't know. Maybe there wasn't a better offer on the on on the docket, which means teams were having some sort of discount for the optics and the off-field reputational concerns of Watson. But if there was, the Texans could have played more hardball here you know if it, if it takes a week if it takes 2 weeks however long it takes they're they're not competing this year they're not in that much of a rush these other teams are in a rush to potentially sign him and to get things moving going forward they could have played hardball and said okay if you're not going to go with the browns we'll let you go to i don't know the falcons or the saints and is watson really going to say you know what i'm going to dig in my heels and not go anywhere if you play hardball with him i mean maybe maybe it'll drag on for a while you don't want that but the Texans could have gotten more for this and it seems like the Browns were able to manipulate that giving Watson so much money, buying his uh buying his preference and then using that as leverage to give up less trade capital. That's the only way that I can explain the fact that they gave up as little as they did in this transaction when there are other teams Highly motivated, highly interested, because they are also highly motivated. I mean, they gave the guy $94 million, guaranteed. So you think they would have been highly motivated enough to also throw in some draft capital, but it seems like uh, they were, again, I don't like to compliment it too much here because I don't like the overall situation, but it was a shrewd move to save some draft capital that way uh, by getting Watson so locked in on the contract. But just to go back here, because again, we're only 10 days out from... The criminal charges not being applied, so or not being no indictment, which has kicked off this whole thing. You can listen to episodes that I've done in the past describing the guilt or not on here. And I, you know, with this this statistical sort of analysis where I was saying, hey, you know, these are what's the probability of of this woman lying and this, and this, and this, and this we're up to 25 women. We're always 22 is thrown out there a lot, but we're really 25 women because there are two women that were part of the criminal complaint that were not part of the 22 women who were in the civil complaints. Plus though a woman who gave an interview with a pseudonym to Jenny Vrentis at sports illustrated at the time. Now Jenny is doing great work for the New York times. So she's on there with corroborating evidence also in, as part of that. So they're 25 here. So I gave this big old spiel about it. And then I was listening to Bomani Jones's podcast. Uh, you should check it out, of course, The Right Time with Bomani Jones, where he was talking to Dominique Foxworth. And he basically just blew my whole analysis away. And he said, if you're thinking, you know, Deshaun Watson might be might be innocent, what you need to do in that circumstance, you need to hit the 20, he, he called it the 22 women. Again, I'm going to say it's more like 25 women, the 22 woman parlay. I think that's a good, that's a good way of framing it for people who are thinking about this. Even if you think each of these are 50, 50, and again, they're much more than 50% being likelihood of being true because of just how these things work out. You need, in order to hit all of those. Think about the odds of the 22, a 22 team parlay, Right. So twenty-two all coming through is pretty low, especially when there are multiple, not just one, not just two, at least three women who are not seeking any sort of monetary compensation for this. Anyway, but if you think about this, the the, the chain of events for what happened for Watson. Watson is such a huge beneficiary in this in this whole thing. That's what's really troubling about it. The way that the Browns used giving money to him to get leverage against the Texans was like they were giving X to, to Watson. They were giving more to Watson than they would have otherwise in order to lower the trade compensation. I mean, Watson is credibly accused by all of these women. He earns his full salary for 2021, 10 million something dollars. He's traded to a team of his choice, a more competitive team than he's currently on. He gets one year, 94 million guaranteed, including restructuring the contract so that it's only a $1 million salary this year, which will lower his fine amount. Basically everything that he could have wanted and more, almost because of the fact that he credibly has been credibly accused of the, of all of these different... Uh, harassment and assault allegations. Absolutely nuts what ended up happening here. Um, Again, this might, Deshaun Watson is on track for being the highest earning player in the history of the NFL at this point. Because look at him versus Patrick Mahomes. Both were drafted the same year, 2017. Mahomes was the 10th pick, Watson was the 12th pick. They renegotiated contracts in the same offseason after their third season in the league. I thought Watson's contract was better despite the because it was only four years. And yeah, it was more like you know, in the 40 range versus in the $45 million per year range that Mahomes's was. But Mahomes is 10 years. And just think about their cash earnings after this deal that Watson has redone here through 2022, so through the end of the season, Mahomes will have earned $77 million. Watson will have earned over $97 million. So he'll have $20 million more that he'll have earned throughout his career than Mahomes after the season. And through 2026, which is the end of the Watson contract, Mahomes still has more years after that, that he cannot renegotiate, start a new contract, get a new upfront bonus, although I'm sure he'll restructure and get some of those bonuses along the way. But still, he's not free free for that leverage of free agency anytime in the near future. So through 2026 through the end of their contracts, Watson will oh no, start with Mahomes. Mahomes will have earned $239 million. Watson will be over 281 million. Again, 42 million more. That he'll have earned through 2026, which he would technically be an unrestricted free agent Watson in 2027. You know, he'll be extended before that probably, but he is just on a trajectory to out earn even Patrick Mahomes. Again, he will be 40 million by 2026. By the time we get to 2030, if they last that long, which, you know, if Watson can keep himself out of trouble, he probably will. He's probably going to be 50, 60, 70, 80 million, 100 million more than what Patrick Mahomes is going to earn who, in my opinion, is clearly a better quarterback, more accomplished quarterback, you know, Super Bowl, multiple Super Bowl appearances, Super Bowl wins, all that stuff. So it's just really amazing here that someone who's done, who has some of the worst allegations we've heard of off-the-field behavior, uh, just in the volume of the accusations, has now set himself up because of the way all this has played out, and the Browns very much complicit in this has now set himself up to be the richest player, probably, in the history of the NFL. Absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. Um, okay, before we get into the fallout of the Watson deal, and I'll get into all, all the details there, uh, let's talk about DraftKings. I mentioned those Super Bowl odds there. If you want to get in on that or if you want to also get in on Hoops action, Hoops fans, there's a the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If the sportsbook is not available in your state, you can take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, 21 or older. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, fallout time. What else do we have to think about here? Well, first, let's look at the Browns. Okay, so they bring in Jacoby Brissett and... To be their backup. Actually, I want to talk about Brissett real fast. I don't like him starting games. The fact that he was a starter in the NFL for the Colts was kind of bad. Like, he's just not very good. But he grades kind of well for us, though. He takes a lot of sacks, which we we don't hit him hard enough on. Um, but one of the reasons I like Brissett as a backup is he fills... Not only your contingency plan in the event that your quarterback is injured to give you a credible option at quarterback, but more importantly, in my opinion, he is a great short yardage conversion guy running the ball in particular, but he has a credible threat to pass. And not only does he give you that other option, but he can also save your quarterback because running with the quarterback is the best way to convert these short yardage downs. You, know, you don't do it every time, but you're going to want to do it most of the time. And you're going to want to have that threat all of the time. Deshaun Watson will give you that threat. Other quarterbacks will give you that threat. But do you really want these guys to get injured? Let's remember Patrick Mahomes, he he dislocated his kneecap trying to sneak it on a play. He got knocked out of the Browns game in the playoffs doing a quarterback option type of play on a short yardage play. So Jacoby Brissett, bringing Jacoby Brissett, big dude, you know, 230 something pounds. Um, I looked over his career. So he's been in the league since 2016. Every time that he has run the ball in a design run, not in a drop back, which then turns into a scramble. But every time that he has run the ball, whether it's a, Read option or just a straight quarterback conversion on third or fourth and one to go, he has converted 20 out of 21 times. That's over 95% conversion rate. That is very valuable. And I know teams don't like to turn over to their non name brand starting quarterback in the highest leverage plays out there because these are extremely high leverage. If we're talking about a fourth and one, let's say fourth and one and a half, at the same time, it's the right move with someone like Brissette to bring him in to, to run the ball in these circumstances. And, you know, sometimes it's not going to work. One out of the 21 times he did it. It did not work. But you got to eat that and say, we'll take that downside in order to get a tremendous conversion percentage. Because that, you know, it's, it might not be sustainable, this 95% conver- conversion percentage. But that's well above what you would hope for on even fourth and inches type of sneak situation, how good that is. For four percent, so again, the Browns front office I can't can't, can't quit you guys because you you make good moves like that that I have to give credit for. Um, and I've always wanted to see more teams bring in a Brissett like guy to do to fill that exact role, to partition that exact role, and be willing to bring in and turn the ball over to someone who has a higher conversion rate in these specific instances, even if. You don't like bringing your franchise quarterback off of the field. So I thought that was interesting. Okay, the second part for the Browns, of course, what does it mean for Baker Mayfield? What's going to happen with him? I saw Field Yates of ESPN speculating that they would have to eat some of his contract to sell him. I don't think that's true. I think there are suitors out there. We've heard the Seahawks. He wants to go to the Colts. I mentioned last week, and you can listen to the second pod last week about The connections to potentially with the Lions and John Dorsey being there who drafted him number one overall. The fact that the Lions front office and coaching staff in their second year may not want to go forward with Goff and may want to turn the page there if they don't want to draft Malik Willis at number two. So I think that's a possibility. And I don't think the Browns are going to view the Baker Mayfield situation as if they have to do him any favors. I know it was a bad look to put out the statement about wanting to have an adult at quarterback. The suspicion being it hasn't been confirmed, but I know that, you know, Chris Mortensen, who made that statement, has good connections to ownership, mostly, <laughs> in a lot of different places. So the thought may be that that came from Haslam. It would not surprise me because I don't think Barry or Stefanski would say that. They've done they've done a good job through a lot of Baker Mayfield. Let's be face it. He's bitching a lot over the season about play calling and other things. They did a pretty good job about staying calm, not getting into it too much, um, defending him, I would say, in a way through the Odell Beckham fiasco. So, you know, I don't think they owe him anything from that. And I think they'll look at this in kind of a calculating manner like they would anywhere. And they're not just going to send Baker Mayfield where he wants to go to if they get less trade compensation for it. And we know that Chris Ballard is notoriously stingy. When it comes to a lot of these things, so I don't know if he's going to go to the Colts. I think the Lions are really interesting. I think they can get at least one day two pick for him, so I think they're going to get something for him. And again, think about that mitigating, you know, that offsetting some of the cost of the Deshaun Watson trade. It just shows that overall, like how great this deal is for them, even though they're paying Watson a ton of money. Uh, what it means for Matt Ryan? By the time you guys are hearing this, Matt Ryan's will pro- uh, situation will probably be resolved because today. His roster bonus was pushed back to today. I think it's going to be a restructure there. He's going to stay. I, I went over again last week about why I don't think he's as, he's as attractive of a trade option as some people do. I think practically, logically, he's good for a year, but I don't know how many front offices are willing to risk their jobs on bringing in Matt Ryan at 37 years old, who is maybe not declining, but his his results have declined over the last few years. And if he just doesn't pan out, even someone like Chris Ballard, if let's say Ballard brought him in, if he doesn't pan out after the Wentz last year, after Rivers the year before, who Rivers played well, but you know, Rivers the year before, having uh Bursette the year before that, and so on and so forth, all that stuff, um, even Ballard might lose the goodwill of Irsay and end up getting fired if Matt Ryan doesn't doesn't work out. So I think for that reason, He's going to sit tight. He's going to be back in Atlanta. I don't think it benefits anyone for him to leave. I mean, maybe it benefits Ryan if he really, really wants to win a championship. He thinks he has a better chance somewhere else, but he's been in Atlanta for so long. He's kind of an institution there. That's why I thought it was much more insulting to him than it was to Baker Mayfield to be part of these Deshaun Watson trade talks for everything that he did coming in after uh, the Michael Vick conviction and the black eye that was put on that franchise you could say after that having ryan come in as the number three pick have a fantastic rookie year play really well you know win an mvp take the team to the super bowl that can't really put it on him that they lost that game all that stuff he's the one who probably deserves a little bit more and i think for that reason they'll restructure him, play him out maybe they'll draft someone to come in there but um I don't see Matt Ryan going anywhere. But again, by the time this comes out, I could be completely wrong about that. All right, let's transition to Devontae Adams. But before that, I'm going to get through the last Manscaped ad read here. Round of applause for Manscaped today. I am excited Announce announce Manscaped launched their ultra-premium collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man that covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code PFF. 20% off, free shipping, Code PFF. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. Okay. Devontae Adams. I'm going to do the same thing here that I did with the Watson trade as far as going over the real numbers for the cost, for the enhanced benefit to the team in terms of Super Bowl odds, all that stuff. And it's really going to contrast with the Watson deal. Like, I think Watson what you paid for in the trade and trade compensation versus what you're getting in enhanced Super Bowl odds is an enormously good deal for the Browns outside of, you know, again, I don't know how long we have to keep on doing these caveats, but I've been very clear on here and on social media about my dislike of the trade and my belief that Watson is indeed guilty of perpetrating some of these acts. But to the cold, hard numbers of it, Adams, Devontae Adams, soon to be 30-year-old Devontae Adams. Great player, soon to be 30-year-old for a wide receiver. If you look at the compensation in this deal, again, it's a 1 and a 2 is what the price is here. So it's the 22nd pick overall and the 53rd pick overall. The amount of war gained here is .94, so almost 1. Remember, the Watson deal is 2, almost 1. So half the, the, the trade compensation for... A soon-to-be 30-year-old wide receiver versus a 26-year-old elite quarterback. A lot more. Um, And if you think about how much it enhanced their Super Bowl chances for the Raiders, well, going back to that February number... They were plus 5,000, so that's an implied odds of 2% to win the Super Bowl. They were 12th in the AFC, again, 12th out of 16 teams. And if you knock off some of the VIG there, it's probably more like 1.8, 175, was their actual odds of winning the Super Bowl in the middle of February. Now, as you remember what's happened, not only did they bring in Adams, but they also brought in Chandler Jones. I don't know how much Chandler Jones moves the needle. Not as much as Adams, clearly. So they brought in those couple of players. They've gone from 12th in the AFC in Super Bowl odds to, drum roll please, 11th in the AFC in Super Bowl odds at plus 4,000 instead of plus 5,000. So they gain less than half a percent in their Super Bowl odds, again, versus the Browns who gain more than 3% in their Super Bowl odds for this season where Watson's going to miss time. Um... For that reason, if I was going to say this, you know, this is the win-win type of trade, which I thought the Seattle trade was. And again, anyone who's out there saying that the Seahawks did not get enough compensation, I don't think is really viewing it properly, or maybe as a Seahawks fan that didn't want to get rid of Russell Wilson. This one may have been in the weird category of a lose-lose trade. I don't know if the Packers lost on it. I think to give up a 30-year-old wide receiver to get back a couple of premium picks and a lot of cap space. Remember, he's signing the $28 million deal. Uh, extension, which is huge. I mean, that's a big, big deal because I know it's only optically a little bit above what DeAndre Hopkins was getting before when Hopkins signed his extension, but Hopkins extension was way over the market. And it was almost this weird deal where the Cardinals were giving him that, but then really viewing the contract as a whole as being more like a little bit over $20 million contract because they were extending so far out into the future with the existing years left. You know, this is Adams coming right in with a new deal. You know, he's on the franchise tag. He's coming right in with this new deal here. It's really a bump up over maybe the Julio Jones type of extension around $22 million a year. So him getting up to twenty-eight is is a big, big increase over the market there. Um, so for that reason, it's just really hard for the Raiders. You're getting a tiny bit of juice for your chances to win this year. Your chances already were not very high. Again, going from 12th in the AFC to 10th in the AFC you know, whoop de doo I'm sorry, now 11th in the AFC. So you're, you're moving up one spot. You leapfrog the Dolphins, and that's it uh, in your Super Bowl odds. You're just not getting a lot out of it. I mean, you're going to be competitive, and you give yourself maybe a chance at being there. Maybe this is something that Derek Carr really wanted. And, you know, you're going to sell some tickets probably. Your monetary gain that you're going to get in – selling tickets and boxes and everything else. That's probably pretty good juice that you're getting out of this deal. Probably good investment for the Raiders with a, you know, new ish stadium there uh, and location building up the franchise value there. So I I can get it from that standpoint from the Packers standpoint. They didn't, didn't sound like they wanted to trade Adams. It sounded like they wanted to give him a similar deal, according to everything we're hearing. And I believe that came from Adams agent. So It doesn't sound like PR spin from the Packers, the fact that they want to give him the same deal. But because Rodgers is so old now, you know, approaching 40, that I'm conflicted as to whether or not this gives them a better chance, let's say, in a three-year window. And again, the the problem is you have to assume that Rodgers is going to still be an elite quarterback for three years. Whether that gives them a better chance in a three-year window to win with these couple of draft picks, with all this additional... Uh, money to spend in free agency than keeping Adams. It means definitely worse in the, in the single year. Although again, even if we talk about the single year here, the Packers went from plus 1500. Sixth in the NFL in their Super Bowl odds in February. And now they are. Oh, they're even a little bit. They're not even that low. They're actually a little bit higher according to here. So their odds have gone better. Well, I'm looking at two different two different places, so maybe that's more about it than anything else. But anyway, it didn't really hurt them for this year, but there is going to be a marginal difference. And I don't know if people are overplaying some of the sample here, which I think is interesting, is that you know, Rodgers hasn't been any worse without Devontae Adams. Uh, numbers put together by friend of the pod, Rich Rebar, at Lord Reeves over at Sharp Fantasy Football Analysis. Aaron Rodgers with and without Devontae Adams on the field since 2016. He actually has 523 dropbacks. Rodgers, 523 dropbacks without Devontae Adams on the field. That's almost a season's worth of dropbacks. Kind of is a season's worth for Rodgers, someone who's not a high-volume passer. His completion percentage is basically exactly the same, with and without. His yards per attempt are slightly higher without 7.7 7 versus 7.4 his yards per completion are higher 11.9 versus 11.3 i think some people were pointing to the arizona cardinals game this year where they were mis- missing a bunch of receivers and pointing to rogers dinking and dunking the whole time and how he can't stretch the field without adams i don't think that's necessarily the case adams is not exactly a field stretching type of receiver anyway his epa per dropback, slightly higher again without adams 0.19 versus 0.17, and his touchdown percentage slightly lower, uh, 6.1 versus 6.3. So that's the only thing you can point to that's a little bit lower of these numbers that were collected without Adams. Again, 523 dropbacks, significant, almost a whole season. Not so significant that you can say definitively that Rodgers isn't going to miss Adams at all. Of course, he's going to miss him some. You know these these the missed. dropbacks are not randomly assigned throughout the years. They're clustered in certain areas where there could be better or worse years for Rodgers. But that's another thing about Adams is he has missed some time. He has missed a handful of games over the last few years. And this is one, again, the the, the upside, uh, the positive case when, when losing him is rather than investing so much money into this one player that's going to make it difficult to bring people like you know, Valdez-Scantling back or build around him. Um You can also get more, increase your road, how robust your wide receiver room is to survive injuries. You're going to have additional picks you can use on potentially on receivers. You're going to have more money you can spread around there. You know, you can get more snaps for guys like Amari Rodgers, who barely played even as a third round rookie last year. And, you know, bringing in someone like Valdez Scanling the fact that he does stretch the field, he's going to be more of a contributor to a high yards per completion number for Rodgers than Adams would be. So bringing in someone like that also, I think is a very interesting call or potential that they can do. Now, the problem is they haven't done anything yet. We've seen Alan Robson sign. We've seen Robert Woods, which I wouldn't have been that hot on anyway for them, go somewhere else. Maybe they bring in Julio Jones. Julio Jones, poor guy. Like, with his, he barely practices playing in Green Bay in December. I cannot imagine it would be great for his hamstrings. So they still haven't done anything, which I think has... Packers fans on on pins and needles here. But if there was one way to view this trade incorrectly, it probably is overvaluing what Devontae Adams means to Rodgers because of the fact that we have evidence of Adams not adding that much. And we have a whole entire career of Rodgers of multiple MVPs, multiple high-level performances before Adams even got there. Rodgers has not been better in Adams' prime years. Remember, Adams came in 2014. He stunk as a rookie in a year where... Um, Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb had incredible efficiency with Rodgers that year. He got a little bit better in 2015. Still wasn't great. It was really since 2016 that he's picked up and been there, been their main guy. And again, this has not been a great stretch for Rodgers' career in, in total. I know he's has a couple of MVPs recently, but 2015 through 2019 was the worst stretch of his career before these last couple of years. And a lot of that is with Adams in his prime. That's Adams years two through six. So, again, we don't want to get too caught up in our numbers bot nerddom here to say numbers say Adams does not matter. You know, we don't want to get too much into that. But we don't ignore it either. And we don't ignore the fact that Aaron Rodgers has had MVP top level performances. and It's probably not just that. Rodgers was lucky to play with great receivers all the time. He's always lucky to play with, you know, Jennings and Nelson and Cobb and whoever else. It's probably more likely that those guys are good receivers that Rodgers enhanced substantially with how he played. And it's probably more likely than not that if you look at who's going to fall off next season, both of them are probably going to be worse because you have the best receiver in the game and the MVP. It's hard to top that going into the season. But to me, it's more likely that Adams will suffer more with Carr than Rodgers will suffer without Adams. Contingent on the fact that the Packers, like, do something here. You know, you poke them with a stick, do something. Gutekunst, like, sign somebody, do something. Presuming they do that, I think it's okay for Rodgers. And again, the, the betting markets, they are you know, fourth tied with the Rams right now for their Super Bowl chances behind only the Bills, the Bucks, and the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, slightly behind Tampa Bay, where I think they were a bit higher there. So maybe they maybe, maybe taking a little bit of a hit, but not so much. If Rodgers can play at a high level for another few years, which will realize the benefits of the picks they're getting and will realize the benefits of, the additional money that they can spend in free agency to build around him. All right, guys, that's everything for me on Monday. I'm sure we'll have more news. Potentially news has been breaking as I've been yapping away here on a Monday morning, and I'll come at you later this week. We're also going to be doing a little trial run, I think, in the near future of bringing in some more guests, maybe even a potential co-host in in the near future. I'll let you guys decide whether you want to hear me yammering it up all by myself. Which, you know, maybe this says something about my narcissistic personality, but, you know, I'm able to do pretty well. Just sit here and talk for an hour straight without many interruptions. So that might be a character flaw on my part more than a a trait to be lauded by myself, which probably doesn't really display much humility there either. But anyway, everyone, you know, go ahead. So throw me a rating, a review, send me questions on Twitter. If you have any concerns or drop some comments in the YouTube for the video, I I like to read those. Otherwise, I'll be talking at everyone later this week. Thanks.